opening up the final hour of the David Glenn Show on Monday. NASCAR racing should be starting green flag, NBC Sports Network, beginning with the second stage of stage two. From the delayed, here we go, Darren, 1000bulbs.com 500 at Talladega. God bless them. What a name. William Byron, Joey Logano's out front when things were called earlier. We had Peter Burns of the SEC Network last hour, used to nut during hour number one. We're talking a lot of SEC football, a lot of national football, but we closed out hour number two talking about the ACC, and I threw it out there that... Wake Forest, year six under Dave Clawson, is positioned to do something just fantastic. Even though they're coming off that loss to Louisville, 62-59, to the Deeks have much to be proud of. And I think the conference at large is trending in the right direction. We'll see what our guest thinks. She covers ACC for ESPN. Andrea Adelson, welcome to the David Glenn Show. Thanks for having me back. Appreciate it. Andrea, I, I, three weeks ago, two weeks ago even, I was ready to bury the ACC. That It's the worst conference in America. I, I still believe it might be number five out of the five Power Five conferences. But things seem to be trending better. Is it because Miami and Louisville are better or Louisville and Wake Forest had such an epic game? What, what, is, what has happened over the past few weeks to change my perception? I think you're probably better equipped to answer that than me because as I sat staring at my computer screen yesterday attempting to put together the ACC power rankings, I was stumped at number two. And I don't necessarily know if that's a good thing for the ACC, quite honestly. And I think that's why there's been a lot of backlash against Clemson this season. They win decisively on Saturday, and then they drop to number three. That two straight weeks they win a game, and then they drop in the rankings. Obviously, as long as they finish in the top four, it's fine. But I do think that folks view the ACC as a league that doesn't really have anybody outside of Clemson who can challenge the Tigers. North Carolina came close, obviously. But I think from a national perspective, when you've only got one team ranked uh, in the AP Top 25 for the first time since 2014, that's a large problem when it comes to perception and the way people view it. You could make the argument that perhaps the middle of the league um, is better in terms of the parity because you just don't know who's going to win week to week. But I think when you look at the way people view the SEC and the Big Ten in particular, you'll want to see a very elite upper half of a league or at least elite four or five teams that can compete. The ACC is missing that this year. Uh, and I think that's been a problem for the league. Yeah, the name brands, the football name brands other than Clemson, not holding up their end of the bargain. Florida State, Miami, you know, Virginia Tech is a train wreck right now. And, and it's not really doing anything to help the league. And, Andrea, I think it's shocking because I go back to about three years ago, and I was, I think I was making the argument that it was the best football conference in America. I said the ACC, with its influx of new coaches, the, the Justin Fuentes, you know, red hot in year one, and Clemson doing, starting to do its thing really under Dabo. I said this conference is positioned to take over as the number one in America. And now here we are, it's batting fifth. Yeah, I agree with that. I think it was 2016, and everything just looked really, really good for the conference. Um, you know, Florida State beat Michigan in the Orange Bowl, a uh, 10-win season. You mentioned Justin Fuente, really good out of the gate year one. You know, then a year later, Miami starts 10-0. and And so as you just alluded to, those 
powers that people perceive in the ACC as needing to be good for people to think the conference is good looked like they were. And when you factored in Clemson into the mix, I think a lot of people thought that this was a, a conference that was well-positioned into the future. They had a terrific record in, in bowl games and non-conference games against the SEC. Uh, but the last couple of seasons, things have fallen apart. And I think, again, a large part of that is due to what's happened at Florida State, Miami, and Virginia Tech, which is so much uncertainty around those programs. But I'll reverse it and say this. If you're the ACC, you'd rather be in position to get a team in the playoff than the Pac-12, which right now is not in position, even though top to bottom the league might be, quote, unquote, better. Uh, the whole point is to make it in the playoff and at least get your conference in a position to win the championship. And as long as there is a team from the ACC in position to do that, it benefits the league on the whole if we're talking about financially, if we're talking about coaches in the league, seeing what Clemson has done, going to the athletic directors and saying, hey, look at what Clemson's doing. We need to pay our assistants more. We need this for facilities or we need that. That also helps, and I think that's a view folks kind of don't realize or maybe take a little bit for, for granted. I think what the league needs to do is to not only have a team in position like Clemson, but have a couple of others right there with Clemson that I, I think will help boost the league overall. And again, that'll also help boost Clemson's argument because right now nobody believes that strength of schedule is going to be anywhere near what the teams from the SEC and the Big Ten are going to have when it comes time to play off rankings and seeding for the top four. You know, I, I agree with you 100%, and I'll go back a few years ago. They were saying the same thing about the SEC, that Alabama was in, carrying the entire conference, and, and it worked out great because they still had a team in the conversation pre-national playoff, and, and all that money they were getting from the exposure merely having Alabama in the mix paid off dividends for what we're seeing now. We're seeing LSU elevate itself back to national prominence. We're seeing Georgia, even though it's coming off a stunning loss in the conversation, Florida doing great things, even though it lost to a good LSU team. So I agree with you 100%. We're joined by Andrea Adelson, ESPN. You can follow her on Twitter, at A Adelson ESPN. Andrea, we were talking about Wake Forest last hour, talking about it before we brought you on this hour, and I have a long history with Wake Forest, covered that team for many years, and I was there when Dave Clawson first arrived in Winston-Salem. What a difference six years makes. What has been the biggest thing to impress you during his time in Winston-Salem? Well, I just think he's done a tremendous job uh, since he's taken the job. He's one of my favorite people to talk to in the conference hands down. And I just think he's gone about transforming the program in a really thoughtful way. And what I mean by that is he really thought about what he needed to do to be able to get this program on track and in position to have the type of team that they have right now. There was no detail that was left, um, you know, uh, out of the way. I mean, he thought of everything. And when you're at a program like Wake Forest, you're going to have to think differently. You're going to have to think a little bit outside the box and to think a little bit creatively when you look at the division you're in in order to realize and understand how am I going to have to compete and what is it going to take to win. I think the fact that uh, they've been able to not just develop the offensive line from being the hands-down worst in the ACC to now being in the top half of the conference speaks directly to that vision. I think an offense that's different than what anybody sees in the ACC is a direct result of that vision. 
And I think that even though defensively maybe it's not what it was the last couple of seasons, at least um, you know through the first half and even that performance last week against Louisville, I think they've made strides. And now they're putting more players in the NFL um, on the defensive side of the ball. And all of that is a tribute to this vision, knowing that they had to continue to be developmental, but also try and get into the living rooms of some players who maybe had a little bit more talent and had to be convinced to come to a program like Wake Forest because he had everything figured out about what it was going to take to get this program to the level where it is right now. Now, having said all that, I do think this game against Florida State this weekend is absolutely crucial uh, for what's going to happen with Wake Forest, you know, from here on out when you look at what awaits after this open week. And so from my perspective, I think we'll really see where Wake Forest is as a program on Saturday, because this is going to be a Florida State team that's coming in there that really knows it has to win in order to try and get back to bowl eligibility, a team that is more talented than Wake Forest and a team that has athletes and is fast. And that's something that obviously gave Wake Forest some serious issues last week against Louisville. And so from my perspective, they really need to step up and have a lights-out performance this week against Florida State in order for us to truly get a handle of where this team or this program is going to be this season. You know, it's perfect. You set up my next question because what's it going to take to fix Florida State, or I guess even deeper than that, what is the problem with Florida State, and is it a Jimbo problem, is it a Willie problem, or is it a combination of the two? Well, I think at this point it's a Willie problem. You know, you can't continue to blame the old coach a year and a half into your tenure. Um, and, And last year you could blame some stuff on Jimbo. Um, talent-wise, this is still one of the more talented teams in the conference. The offensive line issues and woes, you could trace that back to a lack of development under Jimbo Fisher. But at the same time, you've got to win with the players that you have. And, and to use an example, I'll just look at what Scott Satterfield is doing this year at Louisville. Bobby Petrino left him a team that was completely demoralized. There was some talent there, completely demoralized. And what he's been able to do over a six-game stretch is far more impressive than what Willie Taggart has done in a year and a half. And you could argue that Florida State had more talent on that roster than what Louisville had when Scott Satterfield inherited it. So to me, at this point, what Florida State is is a direct result of who Willie Taggart is and what he has done inside that program. Now, having said that, I think Florida State is better than they were a year ago. And a year ago, they handily beat Wake Forest. And so now this is a test where Wake Forest is coming off of a loss. They think they could play better. And it's a very angry Florida State team because they played terribly last week against Clemson. There's no question about that. Don't know who the starting quarterback is going to be right now. Lee Taggart basically said during his press conference today, he's not going to continue to alternate quarterbacks the way that he's done the last few weeks with James Blackman and Alex Hornibrook. He's going to pick a guy. Don't know who that's going to be. I will not be surprised if it's Alex Hornibrook, to be honest, I think he's played better than James Blackman has uh, the last couple, three games. And so if it's him, that's going to be a different dynamic for this Florida State offense. Um, And defensively, they just, they have to play better than they have. I mean, they have not played well at all, except for one game against NC State. And you could probably make the argument they played well because NC State is struggling on offense right now. 
I know we're only week eight and there's still so much football remaining and we're not trying to start any rumors or any fires or anything like that, but what's your gut tell you with regards to coaching changes? Maybe not specifically, but do you see some changes happening this offseason around the conference? I think it's a little too early right now to be talking about that. Um, you know, if there was one, it might be Boston College, just because I think this team has been disappointing compared to where the expectations were at the beginning of the season. But at the same time, they now lost Anthony Brown for the season with another injury. And so if they have to go with a backup quarterback the rest of the way, and they are able to make it to a bowl game, well, maybe that gives Steve Adazio a little bit more time because he got a team to a bowl game with their backup quarterback. So I'm interested to see how Boston College responds and where they are now uh, with Dennis Grossell taking over as, as the starter. Their defense, obviously, is a work in progress, and that Kansas game was just absolutely abysmal, losing that at home. And so you look at Boston College, if it's going to be another 7-5 and five season, where do you go from there? But at the same time, with the backups, does that mean Steve Adazio gets another year? So of all the teams and all the coaches in the conference, the one that I'm going to be keeping an eye on in the second half of the season is Boston College. Yeah, we're trying to start a uh, grassroots movement to get Mike Leach or Lane Kiffin into the ACC. We need some entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> I think Dabo is pretty good entertainment, though. At, at least we have that. Uh, Dabo's a little too mainstream. I want Mike Leach talking about Geronimo or Lane Kiffin just being <laughs> Joey Freshwater. I, I don't know. Andrea, but before we let you go, who is your coach of the year week eight right now? Well, um, I'm glad you asked me that. David Hale and I are going to have some midseason picks later on uh, this week uh, for the ACC. And um, I'll just uh, reveal one right now since you asked. Uh, we went back and forth on this one. I was leaning um, Dave Clawson, to be honest. But after seeing what Louisville has done, as I just mentioned, the first half of the season, uh, we decided to give the nod to Scott Satterfield. You know, you're talking about a team that was 2-10 and 10 a year ago. Um, really, uh, nobody expected much out of them. They were picked to finish last in the Atlantic. Um, nobody really picked them for a bowl. I certainly didn't. I thought 4-8 and eight would be a good year for this team, and now they've got about a 75% chance to make a bowl, which to me was almost unthinkable when the season began. I think Wake Forest was in a far better position to have a good year at this point than Louisville was. And seeing the strides that they've made since the beginning of the year, every week you want to see your team get better. And I think Louisville has done that. Uh, and now they're going to give themselves an opportunity, maybe not this week against Clemson, but the rest of the way, uh, they're going to give themselves an opportunity to, to be in every game and to potentially win every game. Uh, and so that's why we gave the nod to uh, Scott Satterfield at Louisville for our uh, midseason coach of the year. But plenty of games left to be played. And we'll reserve the right to change our minds by the end of the year. Yeah, I, I agree. It's easier to get going when you've got some momentum. Wake Forest has had momentum building for six years. Louisville had zero momentum actually going in the opposite direction. But, you know, and I'm a Satterfield guy. I'm a buddy of his. I love Scott Satterfield. But I've got to think that after playing for Petrino, even playing for the uh, the warden in the Shawshank Redemption would be a relief. Uh, but I'll keep that to myself. Oh, did I say that out loud? You, you did say that out loud. You did say that out loud. But you know what? Like, to that point, you can just see how much these players love playing for these coaches. You know, watching Louisville this year is a completely different experience than it was a year ago when you could tell those guys wanted nothing more than to just get back in the locker room and go home, you know, after the first few plays of the game. These guys are playing their tails off, and that is a credit to not just Scott Satterfield. You know, as you know, and the folks in your area know because you've watched what he did at App State, um, it is – 
so refreshing to watch a coach have an incredible staff behind him that's all rowing in the same direction that has every player believing. It's inspiring to watch, quite honestly, when you've got a team that plays that hard uh, and has that will to win and that will to fight, and you know those coaches have the backs of their players at every step. Uh, and so it's just been a completely different experience watching this iteration of Louisville compared to the last iteration of Louisville. I'm excited to see how they finish off this season. All right. I'm excited to see those midseason picks. I assume you're going to put them out there at A. Adelson ESPN. That, that's right. We'll be out on Thursday. All right. It's going to be out on Thursday. Andrea Adelson ESPN. Again, follow her on Twitter at A. Adelson ESPN. Andrea, I can't wait to read them. All right. Be sure to put your input in. I know no one's going to be shy on Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Appreciate it, Andrea. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. That's Andrea Adelson of ESPN or Midseason Picks, along with David Hale, coming down the pipe on Thursday. Get him on Twitter at A. Adelson ESPN. And uh, Louisville's a sleeping giant, dude. Everything is there. I mean, they've got the coach now, the right guy. He's a young guy, so he could be there a long time. The facilities are out of sight. And the Atlantic Division, well, who else is there? Clemson. That's it. And I, correct me if I'm wrong. And anybody that knows the truth, please let me inform me properly. The, the divisions of the ACC were created so that Miami and Florida State would play for the championship, right? Isn't that, isn't that how it was supposed to work? They had them in separate divisions so that it could be the U versus FSU for the ACC championship, the John Swafford, Bolarama, or whatever they want to call it. Hasn't worked out like that, has it? Not at all. And I don't believe Miami, has Miami even played for an ACC championship? Don't think so, bruh. Don't think so. I would like to shuffle the deck. And I should have asked Andrea that question, and I will regret not answering, asking her that question. Shuffle the deck. Redo the divisions. I would love that. I would absolutely love that if they just put them in a bowl and pulled out and, you know, up here, up here, and who do we have? Because it doesn't matter geographically. It doesn't make much sense as it is. It makes no sense. Just go ahead and do it, man. I, I mean, Darren, is that viable? That at this stage they would do I know it would, it would, they'd have to plan it now so that it goes into effect like three seasons from now because of scheduling. But would you like to see that? I mean, it's all kind of arbitrary anyway, the way they do it. Right? I mean, is it? I mean, Florida, Florida State and Miami are in separate divisions because of that dream of having that as a championship game. I think that's implied on your part. I think it's a fact in my mind. <laughs> I think I really think that's why they did that. Otherwise, it makes no sense. And it goes back to your argument arbitrarily. Because you got NC State here, but here's Duke and UNC. Okay, they want to keep that rivalry together. Probably not going to happen in a championship game. So they put them in the same conference. That's not arbitrary. I don't know, man. I would just like to see it. I like to get rid of the divisions. Why do we need them? Go back to Peter Burns' point with the SEC and get rid of the divisions. Then let the two best teams play it out. That's how they do it in the Big 12, right? And then you you rotate through round robin. Because I know you're not going to get everybody in. Because there's only 10 teams in the Big 12. Is that correct? Yeah, I think that's yeah, it's a lie. They're liars. <laughs> and 12 in the Big Ten, is that right? No, dude, the only honest <laughs> conference, there's two. The AAC and Conference USA, those are the only honest conferences. Only ones, because correct me if I'm wrong, Louisville is nowhere near the Atlantic Ocean. <laughs> it's not. True. It's not. 
It is not. I once wrote a column when Notre Dame won the ACC championship that the championship trophy of the Atlantic Coast Conference resides closer to Lake Michigan than Myrtle Beach. All the conferences are lies, man. Sunbelt's cut. But see, to your point, Mm -hmm. it wouldn't serve them uh, more appropriate to be in the Coastal because that also... I mean, that also makes no sense. Again, it makes no sense. Syracuse is in the Ontario division. I don't know. And Notre Dame, don't get me started on Notre Dame. I got to beef with those guys. Get in or get out. Because aren't they required to play five conference games a year as part of this Faustian deal five they made? Five games against ACC teams. Correct. They're not conference games. Correct. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. See, and that just throws a whole wrench into it, a big rigmarole over that. I don't know. I'm I'm in a mood today. And European football, don't even start with that mess. Best and worst of the weekend, 1-800-849-2761. 1-800-849-2761. You're listening to The David Glenn Show. The David Glenn Show, where the great guests have so much fun, they never want to leave. I'll come give you a pep talk before your next show if you need me to. We could use that from you, Webb Simpson, anytime. Hey, I'll be your intern after this. Is everything open, man? We'll take Joe Harris as an intern every day (laughs) and twice on Sunday. Listen weekdays to The David Glenn Show. Welcome back to The David Glenn Show. Got some racing going on. Talladega. I, I got to say the name one more time. The 1000bulbs.com 500 at Talladega, which is part of the Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series. Playoffs. Playoffs. You forgot the word playoffs. I, oh, you tricked me. I wasn't going <laughs> to use that word. So they're underway. Started with the beginning of the second stage. It is the fifth cup race playoff race for the monster energy nascar cup series so there we got nicole arbach from the athletic series xm big 10 network joining us in about three minutes and then darren got a late addition trent dilfer's coming aboard remember trent dilfer won a super bowl with the uh, ravens longtime analyst on ESPN, he's now at an academy, like a prep academy, coaching. Go we'll talk to him about Kyle Allen. I'm going to get his take on the development of the undrafted free agent, now starting quarterback for the Carolina Panthers, Kyle Allen. And Trent Dilfer kind of came out of nowhere. I mean, to win a Super Bowl. I mean, he was drafted and all that, but he he didn't really have a big career. No, I mean he's he's known as one of the more prominent guys to manage a quarterback to, win or a Super Bowl win. Yeah on a team that was known for its defense primarily yes yeah he's he's the he's the prototype yeah oh he's a trent dilfer type well he doesn't make mistakes he wins you a super bowl (laughs) he knows his role so that'll be good be interesting because i want to get his take on that kyle Allen. i mean that was that's how we opened up the show where do they go next how does riverboat ron handle that question if kyle allen continues to play like this when cam newton's healthy I'm going to ask Trent Dill for that. But first, we're going to talk a little college football with Nicole Arbach from The Athletic on the other side. Listening to The David Glenn Show. Jerome Robinson, are you a hugger or a handshake guy? How does it work if Adam Silver is waiting for you? I really don't know. I I hope it's not awkward. (laughs) Um, You know, I hope it's not like a hand-to-hug-to-hand kind of thing. But 
I don't know. I might just mess around and just hug him. No hands. I think he's a hugger. You're listening to The David Glenn Show. Welcome back to The David Glenn Show. And we've run the gamut with college football today, ACC, SEC. Got a little Big 12 in there. And I've got this contention, and I didn't have it a couple weeks ago. I got this contention that the Big 10 might actually be the deepest conference in America. And it could be elevating. They're doing wonderful things with the facilities throughout the Big 10. Let's see if I'm off the reservation because our next guest covers the Big Ten, Big Ten Network, The Athletic, Sirius XM. She's on every kind of platform you can imagine. Nicole Auerbach, welcome to the David Glenn Show. Thanks for having me. Well, I appreciate you coming on. You know, we asked Peter Burns earlier in the show uh, to name his top three Will Ferrell movies. Can you rattle off uh, your top three in about 20 seconds? (laughs) Uh, No, but I was just recently listening to the Rewatchables, the Ringer podcast about um, Wedding Crasher, and that really is one of the all-time great performances by anyone in such a limited amount of minutes on a screen in that movie. So he doesn't get a lot of credit for that one. Elf is probably my favorite of all of them. I know but him! That is, that is one of the, the, the greatest ratios for like the amount of effort and energy and iconic lines per like second on screen. Do me a favor, and we've got to get on topic, but listen to the Rewatchables podcast about Top Gun. It is awesome. Okay. Top Gun and okay, The Natural. And that, that is a great podcast. I can't believe you went there. It's, it's awesome. Let's talk a little football. And uh, my perception of the Big Ten has a changed, just as my, big, my perception of the ACC has changed. ACC, not great. Still the fifth of the Power Five conferences, but a little better than I was giving it credit for. I, still, I now think that the Big Ten might actually be the deepest. Am, am I crazy or not? Well, it depends, like, how far down you're going to go in some of these leagues because I do think at the top, um, the Ohio State, Wisconsin, Penn State grouping is really strong, really interesting. Um, you know, we still haven't seen, you know, Wisconsin or, or Penn State tested, you know, to the level that we've seen some of these other teams out there. Um, but, I, you know, I do think the SEC you know, probably has a claim there too because it's not just Alabama and everybody else in the West this year, you know, even if, if even if it's, maybe going to eventually come down to Alabama LSU, you know, Auburn and A&M are better than their records indicate and are actually going to be some resistance. So I'm not sure. I mean, it's usually between those two leagues and it it certainly is again this year. Um, But the middle of the league and teams like Minnesota, certainly surprising and, and probably, you know, like would, would enhance that claim. Has Michigan begun to write itself or were we just overrating the Wolverines? Um, I, I think we were overrating them. Um, I was part of it. I mean, it just seemed like on paper this was going to have to be the year. Uh, but, you know, I mean, they are 5-1, and one, and uh, they're kind of probably the 5-1 and one team in the country that, that everyone's, you know, out on the most or nitpicking the most. Um, but, I mean, it, it, that's what happens when, you know, you have you bring back, you know, the savior for the program and Jim Harbaugh and you have insanely high expectations because Michigan expects to compete for national championships and expects to be in Big Ten title games. And when you fall well short of that and don't look like a team that can do that and just kind of, you know, you're just laid bare against Wisconsin, I mean, a lot of people are getting off that bandwagon because a good enough season, like an eight-win season, a nine-win season, isn't what, you know, this was supposed to be in year five for Jim Harbaugh. They're supposed to be, you know, competing for national championships. And so, um, you know, I think it's it's fair that people are kind of out on them. I think, you know, it's certainly fair to talk about 
you know, Shea Patterson and his limitations, the offensive play calling, wherever you want to go on that. Um, but, I mean, they're clearly, you know, they're going to have an okay season. They're just probably, you know, they're about to, you got Notre Dame late this year, got Ohio State coming to the big house, Michigan State. Um, you know, so it, it could get uglier, but but I, I think it's fair to be pretty cautious, even though they're 5-1. You know, you, you actually touched on my next point. Was the onus on the play calling or was it on Shea Patterson? Shea Patterson's skills, again, I'm going to use the word overrated. I think we overrated or maybe misjudged his skill set. He's not a traditional sit in the pocket, move around a little bit, and, and stick to the playbook type of guy. I think he's at his best when he's actually moving and creating, and I, I don't think that works within the confines of, of what Harbaugh wants to achieve. Right, and it's still a little, like, tough to see exactly how they want to envision that offense. Um, obviously, they bring in Josh, Josh Gaddis from Alabama, and they're saying, you know, more RPOs and all these different things. And, you know, it's, it's some of that stuff works with Shea Patterson. Some of it doesn't. Um, you know, they, they have great – they have at least, you know, two great NFL-caliber receivers. They, they'd be better off just kind of throwing the ball to them every time and, and see if they can get it. Um, so it, it's certainly a combination of both. I mean, there are people who – you know, are, are still interested in seeing Dylan Caffrey get in there. He was healthy, did not play on Saturday. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how all that shakes out. Obviously, big test with Penn State this coming weekend. Penn State's got a good defense. Um, so it could it could get ugly, or, you know, maybe this is the time where Shea Patterson actually does things that, you know, we thought he might be capable of. Um, but otherwise, yeah, I think you're right that, you know, we probably had higher expectations for him than he was capable of meeting. You know, Michigan coming off a win over Illinois, which brings me to about an ugly program, is Illinois. Where, where have things gone wrong for Lovey Smith? Why hasn't it materialized like we hoped when he was hired in 2016? Well, I mean, I think there is definitely some skepticism of the hire in general, um, and that's still there for sure. But, you know, it, 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 it stands out even more so because, you know, I mean, I think you could argue in, in certain ways that, um, especially when they're not dealing with injuries, like Brandon Peters was out last weekend, but you, know, you could argue that they've taken steps forward. The problem is that, you know, everyone else in the West has too. And and you mentioned at the beginning of the interview, you know, resources and, and efforts and commitments to, to building other football programs. And, and that's how you have a Purdue that's able to retain Jeff Brom when his alma mater comes calling. And so, the West has gotten more interesting and has gotten deeper. It's gotten open. Um, obviously, Minnesota is probably going to be in undefeated into November, which is kind of crazy this year. Um, but it, so it's tough when you run up against those types of teams to, to really take that next step. But, you know, the key is is recruiting, um, you know, and, and that's where they really have fallen off. They, they, that's a job where you've got to be a great recruiter. Um, and you're not far from Chicago, and there should be selling points that just are not resonating or working. Lovey's also had some issues with um, people leaving his staff kind of uh, random times. Um, so, you know, it's, again, not everyone, like I wasn't, I thought it was a bit of a weird hire at the time. Um, and it's a tough job in a, in a division that, you know, there's a lot of investment at the other schools. So, you know, that certainly doesn't help. But, um, you know, I think with that, with that school, with that job, it really just comes down to recruiting. And they hired someone who was, hadn't coached in college in, in, in a long time. And that's never going to help. No, we talk about guys going from college to the pros and that they just can't hack it. But the, it, it's the same in reverse. Going from co from the pros to the college doesn't always work. For every Herm Edwards, you have a Levy Smith, somebody who it just doesn't pan yep. out as quickly. Yeah, and, and it's funny, too, because Herm was another hire that people were kind of mocking or talking about how long it had been. 
Um, and, and Arizona State had made a big deal about, you know, kind of basically calling him like their CEO of the program. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's worked out pretty well. And, and that, that really is what a lot of these head coaches are, and that kind of is their job description. Um, and so that's, you know, obviously they're, they're all, they have a huge game this week against Utah. Jaden Daniels, one of the best true freshmen in the country that no one's talking about. And, um, you know, they, they've had – that's been a good hire for them, and I, I think better than people expected. So, I mean, you know, you never really know when, when you hire one of those, you know, guys and making that crossover jump. Um, but, you know, I mean, when, when you just make fun of stuff when it first happens and you don't really know, I mean, that's what happens. Sometimes it, sometimes it does work. Sometimes there was a step ahead of, you know, they, that, that Ray Anderson, his athletic director, could see something that we couldn't and, and label the job something we thought was funny and it all worked out. She's senior writer at The Athletic. She's also on SiriusXM and the Big Ten Network. You can follow her on Twitter at Nicole Arbach. Nicole, it's almost Christmas. Time to watch Elf. <laughs> I know, I know. It's almost December, and then we can watch it every day. All right, I appreciate it. Nicole, thanks for coming on today. Okay, thanks for having me. It's Nicole Arbach from The Athletic. Follow her on Twitter at Nicole Arbach. And we're going to get back to the NFL on the other side. Trent Dilfer, late addition to the rotation, joining us. We're going to talk a little Kyle Allen. What's he doing right? What can he do better? You're listening to The David Glenn Show. Roy Williams, welcome back to The David Glenn Show. Last year, two chains came walking by, and he reached his hand down and uh, shook my hand and said, two chains. And about five seconds after he walked away, I said, I missed a great opportunity. I should have said three rings. (laughs) Keep it here on The David Glenn Show. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. It's the best and worst of the weekend day. And my best of the weekend, Panthers 37, Bucks 26. Kyle Allen, 4-0. And he has yet to throw an interception. That is very efficient. And that's how you play winning football. And speaking of winning football, our next guest spent 13 years in the NFL, won Super Bowl 35 with the Baltimore Ravens, went on to a fantastic career as an analyst. Now he's coaching at Lipscomb Academy in Nashville. Trent Dilfer, welcome to the David Glenn Show. How are we doing? Thanks for having me. Hey, great to have you on. And before I get to the uh, the main topic, can you give me your top three Will Ferrell movies? <laughs> Um, okay, Elf, obviously, Step Brothers, is that what it was called? Mm-hmm. And then Talladega Nights. Okay, okay, that's the second one to give us Elf, Darren, at the top of the list, so I'm going to have to revisit that one. I can watch Elf a million times. I never stop laughing. I know him. That's right, that's right. How How's, how's the head coaching life? It's fantastic. It's, um... It's everything and more I thought it would be. You know, I had retired. I didn't feel like I was having any impact in life. I'm not supposed to retire at 47. I learned that. And uh, this is everything I wanted. It's an opportunity to develop a human uh, human development program, master's a high school football team, and give back the tons of knowledge and expertise I've gained over the years by being around great football and people and leadership people. And um, there's challenges to it, but it's, uh, boy, is it a lot of fun, and it's super rewarding. At what point did it ever occur to you that this is what you wanted to do, though? I mean, you you had a really good career as an analyst. You had a good NFL career. Is this something that just popped up one day? I'm I'm going to do this. No, I I turned down a bunch of college and NFL opportunities over the years because I had daughters. I have three daughters now, 23, 20, and 17, and never wanted to them to be in the kind of the football coaching life. 
Um, but my wife and I had talked about when they were out of the house, um, maybe this is, I'd always knew I had a bend for coaching and I didn't know what level, but kind of thought that this was, this fits my um, perspective on life the best. Um, we lost a son when he was five and a half and I've always wanted the ability to kind of get a second chance at parenting boys. And, and when you're a high school football coach, you got a hundred of them that you're parenting every day. So um, it, it kind of fits what my wife and I thought the future would hold to a certain degree. Outstanding. We're joined by Trent Dilfer. You can follow him on Twitter at Dilfer's Dimes. And Trent, you know a thing or two about football, obviously. You had a long career, won a Super Bowl. Now you're mentoring young men into being better men. And you, you look at a guy like Kyle Allen, undrafted free agent, now 4-0 as a starter in the NFL. Can you kind of maybe put us in his head for a minute? What is he doing in order to succeed right now? Well, I think you have to understand what Kyle Allen is. And uh, I've had the opportunity to know him since he was 16 years old at Elite 11. And, you know, he was the number one rated passer coming out of high school, five-star guy, but didn't ever play that card. You know, it was really one of those humble kind of team first guys uh, really had everything that can go wrong from go wrong from his college career. He went to Texas A&M. It was the coolest spot to go in the country post Johnny Manziel. You know, Kyler Murray comes in after him. The both of them transfer because of a toxic situation. Uh, he goes to Houston where he's going to get to play for Tom Herman and get a second chance. And uh, he's the darling there. And then Tom leaves for Texas and major Applewhite kind of has this experience, the running quarterback and, he gets benched after four games, still team first guy, still team leader, um, does everything right, but just doesn't have enough tape um, for the NFL scouts to know who he is. And then he goes out to, with Jordan Palmer, um, who does the fantastic pre-draft kind of quarterback uh, school things, and is with Josh Allen and Sam Darnold, and he's the, you know, he's the redheaded stepchild of that group, but yet he's the leader of that group. And uh, the more people spend it, spend time around Kyle, the more they realize that he's a dude. We always call it DQs, dude qualities. He's got everything you want uh, to lead your team. He's a really talented player that didn't have a lot of tape, that has all the other stuff to be successful. Uh, I remember when that draft, um, I was calling teams all over. I remember talking to the 49ers, the Panthers, a bunch of teams like, hey, there's this kid out there. If you're looking for a Tony Tony Romo type story um, that Kyle could be that guy. He's got all the things it takes to be a successful NFL quarterback. And obviously, North Turner and the Panthers felt the same way. And, and now you're just seeing kind of what a lot of us that knew him from high school always thought he could do. And that's, that's play the position with precision, uh, play it from a team first aspect, stay in his lane, allow the better players around him to make plays. Don't think that you're the primary playmaker all the time. And um, be a distributor of the football, and I think that's what Kyle does as well as anybody. Well, then I guess, Trent, the, the question is this. I, eventually, Ron Rivera is going to have a difficult decision to make. Presumably, Cam Newton is going to return from a foot injury. How, how do you handle that when that time comes? Well, I think it's what type of football do you want to play, and this isn't necessarily a Cam Newton versus Kyle Allen discussion per se. It's more of a what is our identity offensively. If Cam Newton, who, you know, you can't compare their skill sets. You'd be moronic to think that Kyle Allen has the same juice that Cam Newton has. But Kyle Allen plays the position in such a way where you play on time, you play on schedule, you play with precision. It allows the fullness of your offensive talents, meaning the whole offense, to come out. If Cam can play that type of football at a consistent level, then Cam Newton's your answer. 
but he has not proven he could do that on a consistent level the last couple of years. So uh, I think Cam Newton needs to earn the job back based on how if he can play within the structure of the present offense that they have. Because as you're seeing, it's pretty explosive without the quarterback being the primary playmaker. Uh, offenses were not designed for the quarterback to be the primary playmaker. They were designed for the runner or the slot or the receiver or all of them to be the primary playmakers and the quarterback to be the distributor of the ball. Uh, if Cam can come back and work in that fu- in that kind of format and then also add that Superman quality um, when needed, then I think you have the best version of who Cam Newton can be. If he can't, then I think Kyle Allen's your, your answer. It's outstanding. Trent, when's your next game? Uh, we got a big one Friday night. We're 5-2. and two. Um, Okay, we lost two weeks ago to our rival. We bounced back, won 35 nothing this past Thursday night. We had a fall break Thursday night game. We got a big one Friday. All right, we'll be pulling for you. He's Trent Dilfer, 13-year NFL veteran, longtime analyst, Super Bowl champion. Follow him on Twitter, at Dilfer's Dimes. Trent, appreciate you coming on short notice, pal. Thanks, buddy. Bye. All right, it's Trent Dilfer. Outstanding insight. And, and he gave us some perspective, Darren. How do you want to play football? The Panthers are going to have to make a decision. Like he said, not a Kyle Allen versus Cam decision, but a style of football decision. And I'll, I'll throw this out there. Knowing North Turner and the kind of offense that he has been predicated to run throughout his lengthy NFL career, we think we might know. But again, and he talked about Cam's skills. We don't know. We don't know Cam's skill set when he returns. We don't know. We don't know what he's going to be capable of. We don't know what kind of player he's going to be going forward until we see. So right now, it's a lot of speculation, but tremendous insight from Super Bowl champion Trent Dilfer. Darren, before we go, Clint Boyer leading the race. I don't even want to, I'm going to say it one more time. 1000bulbs.com, 500 at Talladega. From the Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Playoff Series. I said it's cup. It's a chase. It's the chase. That's it for the David Glenn Show on Monday. I'd like to thank our guest, Houston Nutt, former head coach at Arkansas, former head coach at Ole Miss, now an analyst for CBS Sports. Peter Burns of the SEC Network and a host on ESPN Radio. Andrea Adelson, she covers the ACC for ESPN. Nicole Arbach of The Athletic, as well as the Big Ten Network. And Super Bowl champion Trent Dilfer, longtime NFL analyst on NFL Network and ESPN. Now he's a head coach of Lipscomb Academy in Nashville. I'll be following them. For Darren Vaught, I'm Scott Hamilton. David Glenn back in the house tomorrow. Until next time. Mr. President, Barack Obama, welcome to the David Glenn Show. How are you? David, it's great to be on. It's wonderful to to talk to the folks in North Carolina. I always say uh, I love the state of North Carolina, love the people of North Carolina. Even the folks who don't support me down there are nice to me. The David Glenn Show.